0: The Urban Broadcast Collective
1: brings together the best podcasts on cities
0: and urban life.
1: Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by VPLA, the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association. You're listening to episode 70 of the Planning Exchange podcast. I'm Jess Noonan, and I'm joined as always by my co host, Peter Jewell. Today, we're talking with Nick McHale, CEO of Bright. Bright is a not-for-profit organisation that provides sustainable services that create opportunity and support for people living with a disability or who are vocationally disadvantaged. Welcome to the show, Nick.
0: Hey, thank you, Jess and and Pete. Great to to be on with you both.
2: Nick, can you tell us a little bit about Bright and how long it's been in existence and what its role is and also its not-for-profit nature?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, Bright has been in operation for uh, over forty-four years now. Um, as an organisation, it was started by families uh, in local in Broadmeadows, um, northern suburbs of, of Melbourne. Uh, Sixteen families who all had a child uh, with a disability, and you know, really didn't see much future around training and employment for for their children, and and started bright so fundraised um, advocated lobbied uh, did all the things that that families do that community do and created the organization we are today which is a we are a not-for-profit we operate as a social enterprise so we have a, a number of businesses we have a, a packing business a co-packing business um, supporting other companies with their packaging requirements we have a wholesale nursery and we're also a registered training organisation. So, in, in trying to bring it all together uh, into one sentence, uh, I usually refer to Bright as a, an employment and training organisation.
1: And so, how long have you been involved with Bright, and what did you do before that?
0: Uh, so, I've, I'm coming up for four years at, uh, at Bright, Jess, and oh, I well guess done. these. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and these last few months, uh, COVID months, I, I, I don't know, is it the equivalent of dog years. It's like. <laughs> It has a very different feel to it, but um, (laughs) coming up on four years, um, I've I've been in Australia. I'm from Dublin, uh, Ireland originally. I've been in Australia for the last uh, 13, nearly 14 years now, Uh, and over that period have worked in not-for-profits across a range of different areas, so um, public housing advocacy, um, supporting uh, refugee, asylum seeker, young people. um education programs employment programs and prior to leaving Ireland I uh, managed call centers so I was um, uh, working for you know multinational companies and and kind of managing managing the, the the service level agreements and quality and all of those kind of issues so that uh, was a great a great foundation for me around my career but um, certainly the not-for-profit world uh, that real Purpose-focused work is—I um, uh, haven't looked back. Is certainly what I—I kind of live for in my work, and, and gets me out of bed in the morning, and keeps keeps me going, keeps me me good and focused.
1: And what brought you across from Ireland?
0: Uh, so my partner at the time. So we we had met in Dublin. Um, we're no longer together, but we. Uh, she's from um, from Melbourne originally. So uh, we met in Dublin and and uh, thought we'd come out and give it a go out here. And I, I, I've i got to say, I've felt at home in, in Melbourne, uh, pretty much getting off the plane. And I, you know, I didn't <laughs> know anyone coming here. Um, so I'd grown up in Dublin. I'd never really, outside of holidays, I'd never really left Dublin. So it was a big move. Um, but I, I felt right at home. And, and the thing that amazes me about Melbourne uh, and continues to amaze me is that for such a big city, uh, it's like a town, you know, quite quickly. Mm. Quite quickly, only here a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and you know you start. You're walking down, you know, I don't know Flinders Street, and you, you're nodding at someone who who recognises you. And you go, "That's kind of mad." When you think it's millions of people, um, but it has a very a very nice community local feel to it, which I think is, is a real, um, yeah, it's a real a real win for uh, for Melbourne. Yeah, and, mm, and certainly makes it feel like home for me. So, um,
2: Nick, the the not-for-profit sector is sort of not government, it's not private enterprise, but it it contributes a fair bit to the economy in different ways and also can probably do things that neither government can do nor the private sector. Do you think that's a fair fair comment or am I wrong, wrong there?
0: Yeah, no, very much so, uh, Pete. And uh, you know, if let's just take the NDIS as an example of that. So the NDIS is a sorry, the National Disability Insurance Scheme is a a twenty two billion dollar a year uh, investment from the federal government to support better, you know, improved outcomes for people with disability uh, in Australia. Um, that's a that's that's a huge. Um, positive uh contribution to 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 our economy to jobs um and if you just consider COVID at the moment um you know the community service sector and healthcare sectors are one of the few areas where there remains um Job growth, job creation, job growth, um, and very stable working environments. So, uh, there's a lot to be said for for the uh, economic impact of of this sector. I guess we work closely with government and we work closely with business where where we can, uh, and we also feel that. Uh, one of the one of the areas that we can add further value is around that advocacy within the community and back to government. Uh, we're not an agent of government; we sit separate. Uh, by way of example, Bright we have our own board of directors. Um, you know, so we're we're able to appropriately uh, advocate and then be as effective as we can be and as efficient as we can be around. The government funding we receive, the philanthropic um, funding we receive, and some of our own fundraising uh, efforts, as well as our commercial side of what we do. And, you know, maybe as a social enterprise, that's even a further extension, um, being a not for profit social enterprise. You know, we're we're very focused on being commercially um, minded in how we operate. uh, But really, it all comes back to the social purpose. And... uh, you know, I, I guess any any profit we make gets reinvested rather than going into a CEO's Lamborghini or Ferrari or whatever you're having yourself.
2: No, that's right. Nick. And and I suppose you there's there's scope for experimentation uh, at 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 the at the level two that might not happen elsewhere.
0: Yeah and yeah I think there is and and that might be uh, we're uh, you know our turnover every year is just under 5 million so we're a small organisation um we 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 focus a lot on you know our, our small size gives us um gives us the ability to adapt and and to 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 flex and and to to challenge um some of the status quo uh particularly for us around uh, employment for people with disability uh so that's that's an area that we're we're always trying to challenge ourselves push ourselves um look at the evidence base and take the evidence base within australia and internationally and then say okay well what's what's a five or ten percent stretch on that evidence base to to really try and work on the the number uh the employment outcomes for people with disability and maybe just to touch on that uh Pete, uh, you know we've we're looking at about one in five people in Australia uh, live with a disability. Um, th- that can surprise people in terms of those statistics. Um, so, um, you know, but that it, it's twenty percent of our population lives with a disability day to day. The National Disability Insurance Scheme is supporting just over half half a million people. Um, so, uh, and then I guess by extension, if you look at employment outcomes for people with disability, we've got a long way to go in Australia. Those numbers have been stagnant, certainly over the last 30 years. And, and looking at ABS um, uh, statistics, there workforce participation levels pre-COVID, but uh, for the you know, mainstream population or workforce, it was up at around 84% and people with disability um, sits at 53%, 54%. So we, we've got a lot of work to do as a sector, as government, mm-hmm. as a community, yeah. to to ensure that we're um, providing good economic uh, participation opportunities for people with disability.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I suppose, Nick, also that, that they're a hidden part of society, people with disabilities, to, to a fair extent. Would you agree? It
0: can be, it can be. And I guess there's... Yeah, you know, someone's disability may be more obvious. Um, I guess if someone's in a wheelchair, then you know that, uh, that's, that's very obvious, and I guess then maybe um, perhaps obvious to, to, to see, but the, the design challenges, I, I guess if, you know, if, if you're a person in a wheelchair trying to get onto maybe some of our older um, trams in Melbourne, as, as wonderful as they are, um, that ain't happening. You know that ain't that just ain't happening with some of the older ones, and we're doing good work in that space to try and retrofit the uh, the, the the tram system uh, with with appropriate platforms and and obviously the more modern uh, accessible tram cars as well will help in that area. Uh, but then right through to the other side, I mean, you know, psychosocial disabilities—you you may not, you know, uh, the, a term somewhat used more over in Europe than here, is around um, kind of invisible or blind disabilities rather than someone who's vision impaired. But, you know, you just can't see someone's disability, um, uh, perhaps, and, and and the challenges that creates in, in someone's life day to day. And therefore, then how can we better support people, whether through better service, improved service uh, or... Or, or really good um, really good design that enables and empowers someone to participate socially and economically.
1: And, and Nick, in terms of those people that um, that you're helping day to day, what are their, what are their life prospects in terms of integrating with society um, if they don't receive that sort of training and employment um, opportunity that Bright provides?
0: Yeah, look, it, uh, and maybe just for a moment, Jess, removing um, someone's disability, I guess if we take any human being, there's huge, um, huge dignity derived from employment. Um, yeah. And I guess that with COVID, we're, you know, we're, we're all feeling that or more of our community is feeling that than ever. Um, so so there's, in terms of key social determinants of health, uh, employment is, is critical is critical. And it's one of those that we actually can genuinely influence as well. You know, we can, we can create employment outcomes or opportunities for people. So we, we focus um, really around trying to create um, transferable, really strong uh, employment skills for people. So everything from the soft skills of, you know, turning up on time to work. Um, um, you know, if your boss asks you to do a reasonable and safe gives you a reasonable and safe directive that you follow that and and you don't you know you tell you tell your hubby when you get home at night what you think of your boss rather than (laughs) rather than telling your boss "Uh," you know all of those things that frankly every human being has to learn and and certainly um you know, I, I've been very lucky, as I'm sure you guys have. O- over the years, you know, people, unofficial mentors as well can kind of provide that. And for people with disability, that can, you know, that, that can, be, um, can be more of a challenge. So we tried to provide that upright um, through meaningful, commercial, digni- dignified work, uh, as well as then um, linking in and, 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 I guess, connecting in with um, very intentional training both classroom based and, and on-the-job training so that people's um, people are building their self-efficacy. Certainly when I just by way of example, when I arrived in Australia, um, so you know, 13, 14 years ago, there was really no expectation that people with disabilities should be working. And that was pretty, you know, put into our into our policy for setting from a an employment perspective at, at a federal level. So You know, I guess as a community, we need to raise our expectations of people with disability and have greater expectations and and better support for individuals that they can live the life they choose. Um, And and employment and education being key, key social determinants of health. Um, um, And as you start to then think of, well what someone's health outcomes when they're 40 50 60 70 uh, certainly employment are sorry health outcomes for people with disability tend to be lower um, uh, than the main main population so you know ensuring people have high quality work are feeling socially connected uh, both by a job and by design um, in our community uh, we can we can create uh, incredible um, Virtuous cycles for individuals and for us as a community as a whole.
1: Mm. So it sounds like the um, the program structure that you've you've got has been very tailored towards the people that you're helping, which um, which is a really positive thing. Um, I was wondering as well, I guess, what have you learned over the years in terms of those learning processes? Is there is there something that you've done differently, um, you know, since you started in your role four years ago or something that you've learned that um, has changed the way that you operate?
0: Yeah, we're, we're going through huge change and I think it's fair to say the disability sector is going through huge change. Uh, the 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 National Disability Insurance Scheme is a big, big driver of that. Um, There's plenty of great outcomes uh, that have been achieved in the sector, but there's also acknowledgement within the sector and also here at Bright that we, you know, if we want to change those those workforce participation stats that I, I mentioned earlier, we have to find new ways of doing things and, and co- certainly coming into bright, one of the things that struck me I, I don't come from the disability sector, so this it was all it was all kind of fresh eyes, all new to me jess um, was looking at the limited use of accommodations in the workplace, so I guess if we you know how 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 can we make someone as productive as possible in a workplace um, if we if we acknowledge in a very simple way. Right well, if you go into a cafe, maybe not at the moment, but let's say in better times, you go into a cafe and you know the chef puts the food out underneath a, uh, underneath the heat lamp and then hits the bell and is waiting for a waiter or a waitress to come along, knowing that they're doing they're serving other customers at the moment, well, that heat lamp is an accommodation in the workplace to keep the food in in the quality it should be until the the waiter or waitress is is available to come and get the food and it's a very simple. Um, uh, example, but it is for us trying to challenge ourselves and, uh, and look at how we can use better design um, so that we can uh, increase and empower and enable someone to be as productive as possible in the workplace. So just by way of example, one of the things we are looking at now is, is augmented reality and saying, well, you know, do, do I, would it be, would it be uh, possible and useful if someone is working on a task, um, to, to actually have that on a little iPad beside them, um, use, using AR to, to kind of uh, demonstrate to an individual who maybe their short-term memory is, is part of the challenge um, within their disability, that they can actually have some of those visu- visual cues um, to do their job uh, and to continue doing their job to the to the best of their ability at, at a productivity level within their, their ability and capability.
2: Uh, Nick, can you talk a bit, you've got, you mentioned different sections of the Bright um, organisation. For our listeners, Bright is B-R-I-T-E. Can you tell us about the nursery and the packaging? I understand you've got a food section as well. Is that right?
0: We do. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, look, there's there's an awful lot going on and, and we've, you know, really been uh, sharpening our our areas of focus and how we use our forty four years of intellectual property around supporting people with disability um, and sustaining employment. Um, our wholesale nursery is 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 going incredibly well. We're very proud of it. We're uh, in 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 the last twelve months we've been able to access um, through social procurement. So the Victorian government social procurement framework, we've been able to access um, um, uh, contract growing opportunities that previously uh, we wouldn't have been able to access through tier one um, construction firms and and linked to the rail crossing removals and uh, a lot of the the Victorian government's infrastructure spend. So we've seen dramatic growth on, on the sales side for our nursery, which is brilliant. We can offer more employment to people, we can increase people's hours. And you know, working with some of those tier one construction firms, it, it also starts to create the opportunity for people uh, with disability who have worked at Bright um, to look to transition so, someone in our nursery might want to transition to a landscape, a landscaping company, or might want to go to another nursery. And and brilliant, so, Nick,
2: that is brilliant.
0: Uh, look, yeah, we, we're we're super super excited and really proud of the work, and it's all come off really hard work by a lot of people in in the team, really passionate, driven horticulturalists um, who who've really driven it um, uh, along. And and you know, so we we're, we're seeing great. Great growth there, and, and and great potential for for future outcomes um, for for all of our colleagues. Um, uh, on our packing side, we're going through a level of um, transition on the packing side. So yes, we do have a we do have clean rooms. So. Um, we've we've always packed for other companies which is which is great uh, but over the last 6 months we've actually started developing our own branded food products so um, the first of which can be purchased off of our website so bright.org.au uh, it's a muesli um, a, a muesli blend and and we're expanding the the product base there over the next 6 12 18 months and and really acknowledging you know, we're doing awesome stuff, and I think the not-for-profit world we've tended not—you know—we've we've worked off the idea that doing good is good enough, and you've got to be able to share it. You've got to be proud of it. You—you know—so really, using our brand uh, to sell to sell food products uh, that then. Creates more employment um, for people with disability. Again, you're back into that virtuous cycle that 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 we're all chasing, right? So, um, so we're really excited around the food space, and on the packing side, I guess the the fa- there's a couple of key products. We we are looking at assistive technology and how we can move our business up the value chain. So, um, in partnership with RMIT University, uh, their advanced. Um, um, uh, manufacturing School and Northlink, which is our um, Northern Suburbs Economic Development uh, Organisation, we we have partnered to uh, design and build and sell a uh, uh, an assistive tech, a wheelchair based tricycle. Um, it's a trike, so we we have. Fondly named it the brake. Um, so as, as that was the CEO made his made his coin on that day. Um, I like
1: that. <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks, yes. Um, so the the product will be manufactured locally through um, the the local um, engineering ecosystem. And if you consider, you know, auto auto industry, you know, uh, shutting down. Down since 2017, there's there's incredible capability and, and excess cap capacity sitting in the northern suburbs of Melbourne around these incredible engineering firms, incredible firms. So we we've uh, engaged uh, with a company called Integra Systems to manufacture the bike frames for us, and then we will we will assemble them here um, at Bright and and are looking at some national distributors of the product there. So. Again, high quality work for people with disability, a, um, a, a a high quality product that will also support people with disability and, and maybe just tying it into to the design side of things for you guys. I guess mm. it's you know if you look at any city, uh, melbourne 's an awesome city for for um, for tourists right and it 's a city you want to walk around and you want to you know go and have a coffee and try some food here and there and everywhere. Um, I guess if you are in a wheelchair, you know the the bluestone cobblestones are maybe a little bit challenging, and so we 're actually looking at the brike as a potential accessible um, uh, accessibility option in the tourism world as well um and And so you know, yes, okay, if in a perfect world, we could retrofit a whole city to be accessible um, that 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 's timely and 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 costly um, and so we 're trying to look at well, how can we create products that enable a person with disability to um, to be socially um, connected um, and, and and I think the tourism is a is a really good example of that, so the product is a is a win. Uh, it ticks like every box for us around social purpose, as well as being a commercially viable product um, that starts to lessen our our, our um, reliance, our dependence on government funding, so that we can, you know, um, be be kind of flying under or. or, or yeah, sailing under our own steam as as best as possible uh, in that area. And I guess the the other product that we're really proud of at the moment, and and Pete probably where you you kind of came across uh, Bright was through the Channel Seven news and and the face shields uh, that we're we're, um, were Currently manufacturing. So they're they're TGA approved. Um they're designed by Toyota. We have a strategic partnership with Toyota. The the face shield itself was designed by Toyota and then manufactured here at Bright and, uh, and it's gone out into the market. We're really excited about that. There's GPs um don't act don't get access to the to the state or, or national stockpile. Um and I just kind of think, well. God, if you're a doctor at a or a nurse at a at a local clinic, um, just from an occupational health and safety perspective, you got to have your masks, but you have got to have the face shields as well. I, I wouldn't want. my my son, daughter or or wife or, you know, our our loved ones going to work in an environment that isn't safe for them, uh, in particular with COVID at the moment. So we're really, really
2: proud of that. And um Nick, that shows a lot of adaptability too. That shows some quick steps, I would think, to get that uh, launched so quickly.
0: Yeah, it, it probably ties back into our, our size that we can flex, we can move pretty quickly on things. And I, I guess we know we know what we're good at, Pete, and we know where we're, we where, let's say, deficient or where there's gaps, and that's where we seek to partner. And, and Toyota have been a, an outstanding partner, um, uh, not just on the design side, but actually working with us around implementing the Toyota production system at Bright so that we're as efficient and as effective as possible in the development of of the or the manufacture of the face shields and that diffuses then across other parts of our business as well.
1: Thank you to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalized service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website.
2: Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website.
1: This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at One Mile Grid. One Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. Nick, we touched a little bit on I guess, the relationship in this um, podcast to planning and what um, what we should be doing from a city planning and city design perspective to cater and accommodate more for people um, with limited abilities or um, people living with disabilities. Um, we mentioned, I think, earlier about tram stops. We've spoken about, you know, cobblestones and uh, the inability for people to traverse across that in a, in an easily... Um, in an easy way I guess is there other really obvious examples that you would like to talk about um, that you think you know there's 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 merit I guess in um, in in furthering our advocacy around um, in in terms of improving our city design and city planning for these people
0: it probably I I think they're really for me they're really good examples that we've covered Jess I, I think the additional kind of thought i would have is, is how we engage people with disability in the design and planning processes yeah, and, and i think there's really good work happening in that area as well i might add um, you know mm-hmm. whether that's through through state government here in victoria through local governments as well i think there there is a a, a very genuine um wish um, and enthusiasm to engage with people with disability and actually ask the question like well what does work for you because I, I and we've all done this I, I can tell you I'll be the first to hold my hands up best intentions and I think now this this will be this will work this is you know this is going to help someone with a disability and yeah best intentions didn't didn't quite cut it and You know, did was the question asked? Was it asked? And it's not that, it's not that by asking we then get everything right. But I do think it, it it provides a a a robust um, process and and an ability then therefore to challenge our preconceptions um, around what might be needed. By an individual with disability and and I'll, you know, probably to muddy the waters in everything I'm just saying, I guess acknowledging that people with disability are are as unique as every other human being. So, you know, Jess, you and I may have a disability and we may have a similar disability in terms of how, you know, how that is in terms of the box that gets ticked um but we may have a very different view of what i need and what you need to to be able to participate in a in a community and and so that's it's a fascinating area but i I do i think that co-design work or or certainly engaging in a in a meaningful and a, a genuine consultative process with people with disability um early on in the piece and maybe then check Back in at different kind of key milestones, um, ensures we're doing everything possible to 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 give people that that sense of participation both socially and economically.
1: And does Brad get involved in any advocacy in this space? Uh, it's a, or it's indirectly. A, yeah, probably. probably
0: indirectly. It's an area where we're very much a doing organization. So uh, I guess the examples we've we've touched on is where a lot of our focus is at the moment um we i guess by way of example though we we did um a, a master planning exercise for our two hectare site here in in uh, broad meadows um and we certainly uh, last year and we certainly invited local government uh, to be a part of that and we invited state government as well and i'm delighted to say on both both fronts the invitations were were picked up um so it was both both levels of government provided great feedback for us, but it also was a lovely learning opportunity for for those um, um, uh, public servants to to engage with people with disability around well, what is it you need? What are what are you looking for? And, and what what may, what is helpful for you? What's useful? Um, so uh, look, there's 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 a bit of work there, um, and and there are good organisations out there doing a lot of. Good work in terms of the the developing the research base. University of Melbourne does a lot of good work. RMIT um, Future Social Services Institute does a lot of good work in the space as well, and building that evidence base that then is used uh, as part of the advocacy work.
1: Fantastic,
2: Nick. um, Your Instagram has a post: nothing often leads to the very best something. By Winnie the Pooh, can you explain? Can you ex- expand upon that? Nothing often leads to the very best. Something. I,
1: I think every every question um, should start off with a Winnie the Pooh quote. Just FYI.
2: <laughs>
0: I have to agree, Jess. And we're, we're pretty deep, obviously, right? We, you know, you know, for, yeah, we go we go for the big the big uh, philosophers out there. Um, I, I think it resonates with us, uh, Pete, very much around. Look, you know, if you go back you know, 45, 50 years. This was Scrubland where I'm sitting now in Broadmeadows was Scrubland. There was nothing here. And there's something, there's something very powerful around um, community coming together and creating something out of nothing effectively. And, and you know, Broadmeadows is is well known as a, and, and embraces its, its working class roots. Uh, so we're not talking about people that sat around and said, hey, I'll, I'll pull out half a million dollars here and you pull out know a quarter of a million there and we'll we'll talk to our 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 top end of town friends this was you know hard yards uh by by committed families by committed community who had a vision um you know in the mid 70s so you know it's a long time ago um um around things can be better for people with disability and and you know Nothing existed, and now here we are, and and we're making face shields, and we're building building brakes and we're you know selling selling trees and 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 plants into uh, into major construction firms, going into major infrastructure projects in Victoria. So, um, I, I guess it, it's the kind of stuff that it does. The hair in the back of the neck goes up, and it. You know, it's, it's not easy work. Um, the, uh, I think we, we stay close to our roots and to our legacy because whatever we are dealing with, whether it's me as a CEO or us as a management team or our board are dealing with, with COVID and with everything else that's going on, um, it's not half as hard as, as ty- trying to start from scratch in the mid-70s. You know, can't be. And and I I take a lot out of that. I take a lot of energy out of what people who've gone before us have done, and and that and and the the, the wonderful um, legacy they have left. And how then do we, as the current incumbents, leave it a little bit better than we found it? Um, I, I think if if we all do that on the planet we'd, we'd all be doing pretty well
1: mm, definitely and so nick on a personal level what can we all do i guess to assist the life of the bright family is there anything that um any of us can do to, to further help
0: yeah look there's there's loads of things i mean we we would regularly be looking for um uh, volunteers, in particular, you know, different different skill sets, um, where you know our resources maybe don't always stretch um, for for certain areas. So so um, volunteers, uh, pro bono work in that space. Um, people can donate. We are a we are a a, um, uh, a public benevolent institution, so people can do a a tax deductible uh, donation. Anything over uh, two dollars is tax deductible um, and and maybe you know now that I've kind of given the the very personal bright plug on that I, I think there's a a broader reflection for us as a community and not, no no finger wagging in this in any which way uh, but it's probably to reflect on our own um, our own biases which we all have and 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 kind of look at that and say well you know am i an employer and would i employ someone with a disability and and if i wanted to do that if if you know who who could help me with that and and certainly ourselves and, and other people in the sector are available to help and you know we need to change the the workforce participation levels are are you know they they are an embarrassment for us as a community and uh, and and with covid um, you know, that's not going to get easier at the moment. So we need to be bold. And we, we look for partners um, in the community to, to support that work directly, support our work, or support by, by providing work experience and or direct employment to a person with disability.
2: Nick, it, it, it's, it's all, all great what you say. What, what have you changed your opinion on or has surprised you with your work with the activities of Bright, or its workspace? You know, what's what's one thing that you've turned turned around on?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really it's an interesting one. I, I think just as a as a starting point, um, not coming from outside of the disability sector, uh, I, I probably had had some pre preconceived notions around the type of work we were doing and, and how well we were doing it. Um, and the disability sector has incredible people working in it. Um, and I think, you know, as a workforce, it's, it's not, uh, high paid work. Um, the Ferrari or Lamborghini, I mentioned earlier on, it might be a little match, matchbox car on a table because it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's, um, it's, Relatively low paid, and and I and normally then you'd kind of say, well, that's not going to have great capability as a sector, and and the capability is incredible in our sector, and people from all walks of life. You know, we have people that have, have studied design. We have you know uh, planners, town planners. We have architects. We have engineers who've who've come to work in our sector because of the it, it's it's so purpose driven, and um, you can really feel. Every day you can feel the impact you're having and and i don't think any you know there's there's probably there's no amount of money that can replace that feeling so so I think that 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 was a uh, continues to be something that I take great heart out of um, and I, I guess the the flexibility and the creativity in in the sector um, is also um wouldn't say it, it it surprised me but I am always heartened to see and hear um um in our own own organization and externally and, and perhaps I would say then um Pete you know I I didn't plan my career um you know I didn't think I'd be working in a disability organization if we had you know spoken 10 years ago I'd say oh, it's probably not really on the radar you know I <laughs> haven't really thought about it And it's been, it's been, it is the best job I've ever had. Um, It is the most rewarding uh, work I'm involved in. And I'd probably just put it, put maybe some of my preconceived uh, notions or my biases, I'd put those out to your listeners to say, hey, look, depending where you're at in your career, um, you know, maybe consider consider the disability sector we need we need good people we need smart people we need um people with different uh capability um and uh, but there's a, a a very rewarding uh career and fruitful career for people um in in our sector that yeah i i i i didn't quite understand the depths to, to which I've experienced that myself now after four years,
1: mm, definitely. And and if you had six months paid leave to research any topic that might be related to um, your role currently or or not, is there something that you would like to investigate further and um, provide some research on?
0: Yeah, look, um, certainly the you know disability employment is 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 my key focus at the moment and keen focus and. Uh, trying to see, well, how do we scale? How do we ultimately change the current statistics around workforce participation? And my, my let's say, uh, thesis would be that we change it by really working in with small to medium-sized enterprises in Australia as our biggest employer in the country. Um, and, and I, I, you know, we've done some research and I've done some reading around, well, what, what are the enablers for employers then? Rather than it being charity or welfare, oh, oh please give Nick a go. He's a really nice guy. You know, know that there's actual economic value in, in recruiting and employing a person with disability and probably just unpacking that a little bit more uh, just so that we can, you know, we get, we get very um, um, all 99.9% of people are good people who want to do the right thing. Right, and that's the same with employers. And how do we make it easier for those individuals to, to to go about and do that? And there's there's good examples in Australia. There's some good examples overseas as well. But the question of scale remains. How do we scale those opportunities? Remains um, a little bit somewhat elusive. So that that would be an area I'd love to uh, really immerse uh, myself in the reading side and the thinking side of. Um, and 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 you know continue to apply some some of that thinking in our in our day-to-day work.
2: Well, Nick, I'm going to order some of your muesli very soon. Um now we have come to the section where we talk about podcast extra and that's something that you've been you've experienced or listening or reading or watching or visited whatever that's given you it could be joy or sadness or or just a moment to reflect. What what podcast extra tip do you have for our listeners?
0: So this is going to be quite a specific one. So my apologies if it doesn't quite fit for for no, some people. No. But I, I, You're our guest. I am, guest I am a, a history buff. Uh, I've always been fascinated by history, in particular World War II um, stuff. So there's a gentleman by the name of Mark Felton, F-E-L-T-O-N.
2: Uh, the, the YouTube video? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I'm a big... <laughs>
2: Big fan. Yes, there's no way you would know about this. Yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Nick. Keep going. Uh, I, I, I'm right on it, that. I'm,
0: oh, right I'm, no, I'm so excited now. I've, I've, met, a, I've met a fellow mark felton person this
2: is awesome i Um, I
1: usually like reading and and you know looking up anything history related and pete usually gives me a lot of um crap about that so (laughs) (laughs) well
2: well, just this is probably not your history we're talking about a youtube channel yes it is a youtube
0: channel and what i really like so it's um it's anywhere from five minutes to 20 minute little clips and and i find that i don't know about you guys and and probably perhaps in particular with COVID at the moment, you know, we're, we're doing long days, up early in the morning, working late, working weekends uh, as well. And so my my energy levels to try and read something is limited. And I just find um, these five to 20 minute uh, really, uh, not obs- some of them are obscure, but really interesting mm-hmm. facts around World War II. And I've done a lot of reading and, and there's some of them I go, oh, I was never aware of that. You know, and it, so I, it's it's fascinating, and it's just bite size. I, I, Pete, I probably I probably on the longer ones, I probably get to about 17, 18 minutes, and then I tend to fall asleep. <laughs>
2: not, <laughs> yeah, not no, because no. of the quality uh, of the content, I might add. And, and it's not just World War Two, Nick. It's also like when a, a Harrier landed on a ship one day. Anyway, Jess, we won't No, board, I'm, I'm very no. intrigued <laughs> to go
1: and watch them. I might do that tonight. But
2: it's. Mark Felton, Jess, it's just not. I, I've guarantee. written it down. Oh, <laughs> Jess, have a, have a listen. I've, Jess, I've written I it down on my yeah. to-do
1: list, so <laughs> that's how interested I am. <laughs>
2: All right, and uh, Jess, what's uh, what's caught your interest? Well, in Nick, life?
1: there's always a running joke here that um, that Pete's recommendations are always quite highbrow and mine are quite lowbrow. So um, <laughs> I apologise in that's advance. Not true, Jess. <laughs> well, I've I've actually read three books in the last week, which. Um, right. Which will probably surprise you, Pete, because you know that it generally takes me quite a while to get through, um, you know, my seventeen seventy type history books. Um,
2: <laughs> Comics don't comic <stone> us.
1: <laughs> so now I've really got into this um, wonderful author um, Sally Hepwell. So they're all fictional books, but I've really been enjoying, I guess, getting out of work and getting out of work mode outside of um, working hours and just, you know, exploring all these amazing stories that Sally's been writing. So, yeah, I've, I've read three of them in the last week, so that gives you an awesome. idea. Well, they must so be how good if I'm you're doing them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. What about you, Pete?
2: Well, I'm on a gloomy note, sorry, Jess, but um, <laughs> I was stopped by the police the other day um, and I had to prove, show my identity papers, essentially, and, and I'm just staggered by the loss of civil liberties readers, uh, sorry, listeners, we're in Victoria, which has had a very harsh lockdown, uh, the idea of a curfew, um, uh, not being able to travel a certain distance. Um, uh, it's just a shock. And to me, it's like, Nick, like this, it's a bit like living through histories that you've read about and maybe seen programs on but never experienced things. Um, you know, I always always laugh that people in, other countries had to show their papers when they went from one part mm. of the country to another. But you know, we're right in the midst of it, and it makes me—it gives me such a good appreciation of history. It scares me an awful lot, um, but it also makes me reflect on on how important our liberties are. So that's probably a bit gloomy, Jess. Are you sure still, that's
1: the reason why that's... they pulled you over?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably just wanted to. To admire my vehicle, Jess, <laughs> my lovely Ford Ranger. <laughs> so, Nick, it's been a terrific interview. Um, and I'm, as I said, Jess, I'm going to be ordering some bright um, muesli. And uh, we'd love to come and have a look at your yeah, place one definitely. day, Nick, and see, see the nursery and everything like that. But it's it's been a terrific podcast, Jess. And it's PX70, very special for us. Um, Nick, we're really glad you could be part of it.
0: Congratulations on number 70, guys, and thank you and uh, open invitation uh, in better times to to come up to us here Bright and uh, enjoy your muesli.
2: <laughs> Good on you, Jess, and thanks again, Nick. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, thanks, thanks Pete.